Well, good morning, Springvale. Yeah, good to see you, good to have you here. A little bit of surprise when we woke up this morning, a little more snow, that's not a bad thing. I think in January, coming into February, we should expect that, that's normal. It's good to have. We had uh, our 24 hours of prayer, if you weren't aware. Uh, yesterday, uh, we have uh, two people that are, were really behind. Our prayer team was, but uh, you know, uh, Jelen and um, uh, Dulcie so believed in prayer, they prayed 24 hours straight. Now, I, 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 you got to honor people that honor, like they're serving us by doing that. And we need to, I think we need to, now they would be totally embarrassed that I told you that. But I think at times you need to honor people who are worthy of honor. And uh, they are not serving themselves, they're serving us by doing that. And they led that whole 24 hours and a number of you were there and uh, I'm just so thankful for it. I was so energized uh, from, like, I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to do is go for an hour of prayer. And then then when I'm done, I go, wow, that was fantastic. I don't know what that, it's like working out. The last thing I want to do is get out and work out. And after I'm done, I'm like, that was the best thing I've done all day. So uh, that, uh, that's just a, a great thing. And we prayed because we want to join with God. We don't want God to say, God, here's what we're doing now. Bless it. We want to say, God, we want to hear from you. And as we make our plans and as we go into this year, we want to follow you and listen to you. Here are some things we're thinking, but please take and use whatever you want. We want to join with him, not expect him to join with us because his ways aren't our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. So why would we be leading the charge? It works that way in our lives too. Now, anybody remember this? Dib, 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 dob, dob, dob. Always be prepared. You remember that? Anybody remember? Put up your hand if you remember that. Okay, a few of us here remember that. All of us. You know, sometimes it bothers me that people my age are so old. I don't know how to deal with that. That is, you know where, you, you know the organization belongs to, you just may never have gone through it, Cubs and Scouts. And their motto was always be prepared. And I, I, I had that shouted at me, I shouted it with everybody else, I was told that, I read that a thousand times. I have no idea what I was supposed to be prepared for. I mean, they taught me how to make wax candles. They taught me how to uh, make a house out of popsicle sticks. They taught me how to set a fire deep in the woods when it's minus 50. But I still have no idea what I was supposed to be prepared for. But be prepared, be prepared. But I, I just didn't know for what. Now we're going to go, in, we are in the book of 2 Peter, and, and Peter is saying, be prepared, but always be prepared, but you don't have to wonder, prepared for what? Last week, we, he said, there are false teachers coming, and they're going to try to seduce you into sexual immorality and greed. Now, I know we don't struggle with that in our culture today, so that might be a little disconnect for us here. But that is the point. They use sexual immorality and greed and false teaching to lead us astray. So in Second chapter, or, uh, Second Peter chapter 3, he kind of picks up again on this theme or continues on it and says, Dear friends, this is how now my second letter to you, hence the reason it's called 
2 Peter, and I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking, right thinking, clear thinking, good thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. What's he saying? Hey, look, we need to be prepared, always be prepared for these false teachers. And the way we do it is by knowing the word. The words of the prophets, Old Testament, and of the apostles, New Testament. Know the word. It will prepare you for what false teachers are saying. Not will say, not might say, are saying to you as a follower of Jesus. By the way, these false teachers are motivated, many of them not even realizing by an intelligent evil that seeks our demise. Now above all, he says in verse three, you must, you must understand this, he says. You must understand in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. (laughs) Scoffers will come scoffing. I love that. Melodious ring to that. Scoffers will come scoffing. In the last days. So most of us think the last days are the last days of the church. Because you'll hear people say, boy, things are getting bad. Earthquakes and wars and corruptions and evil. It's just so bad. We must be in the last days. And by that they mean that this must be the last days of the church age. But that's not what scripture says the last days are. When the church began, the very first few weeks, Peter gets up and he speaks a sermon. And he begins it in Acts chapter 2, 17. And he says, what what is mankind that you're mindful for? Um, That can't be the right verse. I have the wrong verse. Oh, that's on the wrong book. (laughs) But he does say, Peter, in the last days, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, in the last days, God said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And the reason that's important is because he's explaining what was happening just before he spoke. That all these people that are speaking in tongues that you don't understand and that they're telling of things you haven't heard or seen, that's all what Joel talked about would happen in the last days. This is the first couple weeks of the church. And he's saying we're in the last days. Now the book I was in but didn't mean to be is uh, Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 1, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. He's referring to the Old Testament prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The last days are when Jesus arrived on the earth, the first time. And through his prophets and his apostles. 
You see, the last days are not the end of the church age. The church is the last days. The church, it's, it's been 2,000 years of last days because the last days is not a reference to the church age. It's a reference to the plan of God that began in Genesis chapter 1 and there were several different eras that have taken place and the final era before Jesus returns and makes everything submitted to God and Pure and good is called the church age. We are in the last era before God's plan comes into fulfillment. And so Peter's going to go off on this a little bit as he talks. So these scoffers come scoffing. Scoffing is to deride or to mock something. It, it, the, a scoffer was the thief on the cross. Remember, there are two thieves on, two thieves on the cross and one believed in Jesus, but the other didn't. And he said to him, if you're really who you say you are, get us down from here. Mocking who Jesus was. You remember the priests came by Jesus. They spit at him and said, ha, you said you're the son of God, the Messiah. If you really were, come down from the cross. They were mocking him and deriding him. And Peter says these evil teachers, these false teachers do the same things. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And this is what they're saying. It's nothing changing. It's all the same. Ever since creation, everything's been the same. You know, talk of God intervening and changing things. And now... If you miss why they're saying that, this, that statement doesn't make sense. They're saying it because they're saying there is no judgment. That's why Peter's going to respond the way he does in the next verses. The implication of what they're saying is God's not going to judge us because they're the ones that are luring and seducing people by greed and sexual immorality to enjoy whatever they want to enjoy in the flesh because there's no reason to worry. I mean, God is... Look, honestly, right from the beginning, where has God ever judged us? Nothing has changed since the beginning. People live, people die. It goes on the same. It will continue to go on the same. That's what they're saying. There is no judgment coming <laughs> I love Peter's response but they verse 5 deliberately forget they not they forget they deliberately change the truth they deliberately lie to support their teaching how many people do you listen on YouTube I mean, YouTube's great. I, I listen to speakers and different people all the time on YouTube. But when they're talking about theological issues, philosophical issues, when they're talking about, talking about what the Bible teaches, you know, you just don't believe them when they say, well, the Bible teaches this. Because false teachers deliberately change truth to fit what they want to say. And often they'll tell you a bunch of truth, but then change it in parts to make it fit because it sounds more reasonable. And be very careful to what you're listening to. And I mean right now too. Is it aligned with what the scriptures say? And if you aren't sure, check it out. And if you're not sure, ask somebody who can help you. 
I'm surprised how easily I, be, I just take in what people say and don't question. Is that true? Is that what the Bible really teaches? Because Peter says, they deliberately forget. And now this is where he's going to contra, or contradict them. That long ago, by God's word, the heavens and earth came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Okay, that's the creation, summary of the creation count. And oh, by the way, these waters also, the world, world at that time was deluged and destroyed. Oh, by the way, what about the Noahic flood? What about that? That seems to me to be a time when God actually judged the world. Peter says, you have deliberately forgotten to mention that. There, there is a precedence to this idea that judgment is coming. And Peter says, just like God said, I will judge the world, and he did by water, so by the same word, by the same one who spoke the word that judgment was coming, that same one is speaking the same word now that the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Peter says they lied because our biblical history tells us there was judgment, that God did judge the world, and he says he is going to judge it in the future at the day of judgment. That how we live and choices we make will be reviewed and exposed and evaluated by the only one that can, Jesus, the righteous judge. So don't believe when people say, just do what you want, there's no problem. It doesn't matter. God's not gonna do anything. Well, that's not what the scriptures teach. That's the first thing he says against their, their statement that, oh yeah, that nothing's gonna happen. But he says something else too. He said, and by the way, don't forget this, because it is true that God is long-suffering and that there seems to be these great periods of time between when God acts in this world. And we think sometimes he should act quicker and he should be moving quicker, but he doesn't. He's, Peter quotes Psalm 90 here. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow to keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. You see the grace and truth of Jesus? I am going to judge truth, the grace, but I forbear because my heart is that all would come to repentance and find salvation. Don't confuse God's forbearance for you in your life with God isn't going to do anything. He is a God of grace and truth. Yes, he forbears. He doesn't give us what we deserve immediately when we deserve it. He forbears with the hope that we will see our sin and fall before him and say, God, would you forgive me for my sin and cleanse me from my sin? But there will come a day when it all stops and God says, now I will judge all. Incredible balance of grace and truth. That's, by the way, great parenting. We do whatever we can to support and encourage and build up our children, but there does come a time when you have to say too much, too far, over the line. There's consequences. 
better stop. Because <laughs> I wasn't a perfect parent, but I needed to know that. Anyway. Now, this day, Peter says in verse 10, the day of the Lord, well, let me stop for a second. The pa- being, living under the patience of God is a hard thing. Or being patient for God is a hard thing. Because we pray, and we ask, and we need, but many times, God doesn't act when we think he should act or doesn't do what we think he should do. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, I, I face that all the time because a lot of times um, my responsibility is to enter into people's lives when they are struggling with deep things, like a cancer. My children are wandering away from the Lord. Somebody close to me has died or is going to die. We, we've lost everything and we need money. We, we don't know where this is going to come from. Because of past sin against me, there's a deep wound in my soul I need healing on. And then think about caring for the church. There's always, we need volunteers, we need money, we need people to grow in their faith, we need conflict to stop, we need people to, to step up, we, we need leaders. We, like there's all these prayers, We're constantly praying for God to do things. And you know, the truth of the matter is, I'll be totally honest with you, a lot of those prayers aren't answered the way that I think they should have been. They weren't answered in the time I wanted them answered. They weren't answered in the way I thought they should be answered. And so that's why many pastors leave ministry because it's so discouraging year after year after year to be batting so low on a prayer answer percentage. And you watch people hurting and wandering because their prayers aren't answered. Their kids don't come back. Their health isn't, they're not healed. Some are. But some aren't. It took me three decades. Three decades. You think you're dumb. Three decades to learn that it is unfair for me to put expectations on God and then when he doesn't meet them, get mad at him for not meeting them. God, you need to heal this person. Yeah, but it's not my will. Doesn't matter. You need to heal this person. And he doesn't heal them. And then I'm spinning. Like, why didn't you heal them? Why didn't you do something? Can't you see they have children? Can't you see the effect on their family? Can't you see? Why don't you speak? I mean, you speak to people all the time. Why don't you speak to those people? Their parents are faithful in the Lord and their kids are wandering away. Why aren't you speaking? And so we put these expectations on God. God, you need to provide this. You need to do this. You need to change this. Whatever it is, we pray. And God doesn't answer the way we prayed and so we get angry at God because he doesn't do what we expect him to do. Three decades it took me to learn this that faith is not trusting God to do what I want him to do. Faith is trusting God that he is faithful and he is good and he is wise and whatever he does is the best. Even if it's hard to accept. How many of us are mad at God or angry with God or upset with God because he's not, he's not answering your prayer the way that God, you want him to. So learning to wait on God. 
is part of building your faith. That was a major spiritual breakthrough for me. 54 years old when I got through. <laughs> Running for three decades. <laughs> Finally hit the finish line. And then so then God ups it. Oh, you think you learned it, good. Okay, well, let's go to a new test. It'll be a little harder than the last one. Okay. Am I still good? Am I still loving? Am I still faithful? Will you follow me even though you don't understand and then you're getting tired of waiting? Will you trust that I know best even though you can't feel it in your bones? That's faith. Anyway, following the Lord and living for his timing is an exercise of perseverance and patience and trust in his character, who he is. Then Peter says, but the day of the Lord will come. So he said, you know, they're saying it's not going to come. And he goes, oh, no, it's going to come, and it'll come like a thief. Well, you know, that just, that's like right out of Jesus. That's Jesus, because Peter walked around with Jesus for, you know, quite a few months, and uh, I think a year and a half, two years of Jesus' ministry, Peter was there for it, and he heard Jesus say this a number of times, that my coming will be but like a thief in the night. Like, you don't know when it's going to happen, and you won't expect when it's going to happen. And so beware and be prepared. Always be prepared, because we don't know when Jesus is going to come. There will come a time when he says, okay, enough, and now we're going to move forward. So be prepared. That was 2,000 years ago he wrote that. But the message is still the same because Jesus could come back tomorrow morning on your commute into Toronto while you're stuck in traffic and you're saying those things to those other drivers that Jesus may call then right there. <laughs> or he may not. He says the heavens will disappear with a roar. That, so it appears, um, not appears, Peter is clearly uh, quoting and referring to Isaiah here um, because this is a passage describes the same thing in Isaiah. And um, it, it, it's in the context of, of the heavens disappearing and the, the kings and the rulers being up in, in upheaval. And the heavens can mean, you know, like the sky. Uh, it can mean the stars and the sun and the moon or it can refer to it can refer to celestial, divine, celestial. When I use the word divine, that's not a word only for God. Somebody asked me about that. It was a great question. Divine means of God or of the gods. It means otherworldly, supernatural, celestial. Just like Elohim is often used as a name for God, but it also in the Old Testament refers to these celestial beings. It's a general word. And I wonder here if that's what Peter's talking about because the skies are going to be rolled back, rolled back with a roar. Now think of a mother who has had it up to here 
with her 14-year-old son who won't get out of bed. And, you know, the day is going on. She's got work he's got to do, but he's staying in bed. So she walks in, she grabs the sheets, and whoosh, she rolls, and he goes, bloop, out onto the floor. And then, you know, with a roar, get up! And then, boom, onto the floor. Well, that's the picture that you're seeing here. The skies are going to be rolled back, and guess who's going to fall out? The evil and wicked fallen divine beings who have been opposed to God and in positions of power and authority that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter six. And he is gonna shake them out like that mother shakes out her lazy son out of bed. And they're going to be on the floor. I think that's what he's referring to. Now it could be that there is a physical aspect of this because I think in the next phrase he uses, I think that is referring to the world. The elements, so the heavens are going to disappear with a roar, then the elements will be destroyed with fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now watch these words. Words are very important in scripture. So the heavens are going to be dealt with, the celestial wickedness in heavenly and high places, and then all the earth is going to be dealt with, a physical dismantling of the way, that, remember the flood? Remember Peter referred to the flood? He said, you say a judgment isn't coming, but I'm telling you it did, and another one's coming with fire, and just like in the flood, the, there was a huge reset button, bam, and the world was new. Well, this time, by fire, God is going to remove all dross from the world. The, the fire is used for a number of things in scripture, but one certainly is judgment. In 1 Corinthians chapter three, Paul says, all of our works are gonna be judged by fire, and anything that's wood, hay, and stubble. Anything that's consumed by fire, that's a phrase, that's a metaphor for wickedness or evil or selfishness. Anything like that is going to be consumed by the fire of God. But anything that's gold, silver, and precious stones, you know those things that what fire does to those? It only makes them more pure and more valuable. And so all of us will be judged and anything that's wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up by the fires of God in his judgment. But everything that is good and righteous and pure will be made better and rewarded and be applauded. I think both things are happening here. There is going to be a physical, because Paul, P Peter's talking about the flood, and just like it happened the flood, it's going to happen in the future, in the, in the fire, and he's talking about a physical act, and so I believe all this is going to be spirit, or physical, but I also think it's going to be spiritual because the scripture says what happens on earth is first influenced in the heavenlies. There is a symbiotic relationship between the powers, the celestial powers of this world and this physical world. And God is dealing with them both. You go into the book of Revelation and start reading it and you will see God is bringing both of those things, the wickedness of the earth and the wickedness of these intelligently evil, powerful, divine beings God created to serve him, and they rebelled. And in the book of Revelation, he deals with both and brings them down and creates a new earth in which there'll be righteousness and godliness. And everything will be laid bare, meaning everything done in it. Interesting. Everything done in the earth will be laid bare. 
everything that we have created, everything we have done, everything we thought, everything we have said. Since everything, verse 11, will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, good question. What should your life look like? If God is going to bring everything to account, Peter answers this question, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its, I wish I had time to explain what he means by speed its coming. I don't think I do. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. Here it is again. The elements will melt in heat, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We don't need to worry if we are in Christ about the judgment that is coming. It will lead to a new, revived, I don't even know if revive is the right word. A new heaven and earth. All evil removed. Anything that is in opposition or rebellion against the goodness and holiness and faithfulness of God, gone. Us. Changed. Glorified. So that all that is broken and all that is sinful is healed and passed away and only what is new and righteous and good will survive. This is really going to happen. (laughs) Now if I got up in a university anywhere in Canada and just said that, what would I get? Mocking and derision? It's It's so archaic. And so simple and naive that you use God, you use an idea like God to explain your life. We've passed that. We've gone beyond it. Again, I choose to put my belief on God and his word rather than our culture and their beliefs. And sometimes... My beliefs, or the, let me say it this way, sometimes the Bible has different values than the culture that we live in. Have you noticed that? And every time we come into conflict, and you will have conflict, and it'll be hard sometimes. It'll be difficult. You, you may have to face people who have a totally different view and who mock and deride you because you believe this, and you, you're wondering, well, is this even true? And Peter goes, look, <laughs> it's true. Choose whether you, that's why he says, remember the word of God. Base your life, base your understanding of this life on the word of God. Build your life on those values, not the values of this world. And keep coming back to the word. That, that is the essence of following Christ. To know his word and then obey it. By the way, knowing his word isn't enough. It's in the doing of it that your faith comes out. That should be a problem for some of you. It's not knowing it. It's not coming to church and listening to it. It's doing it that matters. It's not studying it. It's knowing and doing. It's just like saying, well, I know. It's like saying just breathing in is all you have to do to survive. 
Try that for a day. See how well that works. Just one thing. I'm just going to breathe in. Not going to breathe out. Just breathe in. And so just saying, well, I know the word by taking it in. Well, I'm going to do it. It's too hard. It's too awkward. It's too challenging. James calls that a dead faith. So what do we do with this teaching today? Well, number one, believe it. Don't be tricked into thinking that God's patience with you means that he's not going to deal with you. Now, when I say deal with you, that can sound so harsh. So let me say that. Don't think that God's patience means God's word isn't true. Judgment doesn't really worry those of us that are followers of Christ because only good will come out of it for us. He will take out what we have done wrong. He will somehow make it reconciled with others that we have hurt. And then he will purify us and make us new. And we enter into the new heavens and new earth with him. So judgment isn't a bad thing if you're a follower of Christ. It's actually the next step of our progression beyond this world. I suspect that judgment is the way he's transformed. That's all part of the transformation and glorification process. But if you don't believe in Jesus, judgment's not a good thing. You, you have a world telling you, don't worry, take the course, there's no exam at the end. Only to discover there's an exam. So believe the word, believe what Jesus teaches. Jesus came to this world, he came to, for one major purpose, he had many things he did, but one major purpose, he came to die on the cross and rise from the dead. And in so doing, he paid for, took our place on the cross so that we could take his place in his family because he paid for our sin and paid the debt we owed to the Father. And then he broke the, the power of death over us so Satan no longer has authority in our lives. And then he resurrected us into his family so now we have the authority of Christ to carry on the work of Christ in the world of Christ. And his cross has totally transformed who we are in our position, who we are in our family, and who we will be, who we are in our character, and who we will become. And those who are willing to admit their sin, believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the way our sin is dealt with, and choose to surrender your life to Christ. That's a term I use, A, B, C, admit, believe, choose, but it's confess, believe, repent, and turn to Christ with your obedience. That is true faith. And those who have that kind of faith, that believing loyalty to God, don't need to fear judgment is it will be our next step of development. And we will praise and worship him when we meet him. However, you will not praise nor worship him if you disbelieve in him. So that's your choice you have to make. And I say, know the word, believe the word, believe it. 
The second thing I would say is know the word. That's what Peter says. I'm telling you, he's, he said it in chapter one. He says it in chapter three, know the word, know the word, know the word. Why know the word? Because by knowing it, you know truth and then you know how to do or know what to do and how to do it. Now, it's a growing process. We have to learn. I get it. You're not going to know it immediately. Maturity comes with cumulative work of obedience over time. But, but God points things out in our lives. We take his word as true. We, we ask him for his help and filling of his spirit to deal with it. And we start to deal with it. Sometimes it's a one decision thing. Sometimes it's years of struggle. Now, this is why I'm so excited about Springvale Institute and our Bible studies and our life groups, because we, we are not, I'm not just saying, hey, know the word. We're giving you opportunity to know the word, to, to help you understand the word. That's why that was our faith step that Ashley referred to, that we took this faith step to believe that as we brought Dustin in, that he would begin to create this thing called Springvale Institute, and it would teach the word of God at a deeper level so that we can know God at a deeper level and walk with God at a deeper level. And that's true in our Springvale Institute, which is now just started in January, and our Bible studies, if you've been to our Bible studies, you know you're getting the word of God at a deeper level and we try to do that in our life groups though our life groups have a different purpose than Springville Institute and Bible studies but still the word is there but you've got to choose whether you're going to know it and learn it and then finally not only believe the word and know the word but share the word that is I, I, I think I've said this to you a few times over the last few years, God calls us to share Jesus. Now, I, I've shared with you that I go to door, Byron, I go to door to door. Now, I'm not saying that's the only way to share the word. Now, in the end of September, uh, February, we're gonna have a Saturday morning where we're gonna do some brief teaching and then we're gonna go out. So if that's something God's putting on your heart and you just go, I don't know why, but I just feel like I should go to that, then you, you're welcome to come to that. But that's not the only way we share the word. We share the word through jammers that happens here on Wednesday nights. We share the word through our sports ministries. We share the word through the ministry Andrea Baber does and, and reaching out to our community. We give to different things that, that we have been sharing the word, but we share the word personally with those in our network of relationships we share with them Jesus and some people are open and some people are planting seed that God will work out later in their life but our role as followers of Jesus is to share the word and that's why I keep telling you about these shy questions because I get it it's hard it's fearful and we've got to overcome some obstacles to be able to do this and sometimes just having a simple question can initiate a conversation you know those shy questions it stands for spiritual beliefs. Like, do you have any spiritual beliefs? You can ask that question and let people answer. You don't have to fight with them. Just listen to what they're saying. You might be surprised how many people think about spiritual things, but nobody ever asks them, so they never talk about it. H, do you believe in a real heaven and hell? Why or why not? Listen to them. J, who do you think Jesus was? You can tell I spell shy funny, right? S-H-J-Y. It's Hebrew. <laughs> and why you? Do you know how God draws close to you? I mean, all of those questions can lead to discussion. Maybe a 10-minute discussion or a five-year discussion. One more thing. 
you, sometimes you just need a resource. I got a bunch of these books. It's called, um, Since Nobody's Perfect, How Good is Good Enough? It's a short little book. They're out at the Welcome Center for $100. <laughs> or free, either one, your choice. Take one and then say, God, who do you want me to give this to? And pray about it. Read it so you know what they're giving to them. They're there right now. You can go out after this and get one. Would you pray with me? Jesus, help us to know your word, to believe it, to know it, and then to share it. It's amazing how many different ideas about you are out there and we run across. Help us to understand, bring it all back, what we're hearing, what we're being taught, what we're thinking, bring it back to your word and seek you with all our heart. We pray you would fill us with your spirit and your understanding so that as we know your word, then we will do your word. Peter wants us to remember this. This is important. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Still false teachers are trying to seduce us with greed, with sexual immorality, with thinking that is outside and contrary to the truths of the Word of God. I pray you protect this church and your people and bind our hearts to your Word so that it, it, it leads us, it guides us, it speaks to us, it shows us who you are and that we will have life from it. In your name I pray.